Hey everybody, it's Dan Dan, and we are doing Bill's story in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We have broken Bill, Bill's story up into three sections, so we just finished the first part of Bill's story, and we broke it up like that because it's kind of traditional, and it's where we get the idea of that we tell our stories from what it used to be like, what happened, and what it is like now. So in the what it used to be like, how we focused on it, there's a lot of ways to focus on it, but how we focused on it was the commitments we fail to keep, that we make commitments to ourselves, promises to ourselves, and we're unable to keep them. And we make commitments to our spouses and our loved ones and our employers and our friends, and we're unable to keep them. And Bill's story outlines that so, so well, and it just beats us up to death, literally death for some people. And the ability to keep our commitments to ourselves is really what we're after. Because if I can keep my commitment to not drink, for instance, I naturally keep that promise I made to somebody else to not drink. And so the idea is, how do I keep commitments I make to myself? And knowing that we failed that, we use that sort of as a test. Am I an alcoholic or what am I? You know, And that was the test we use in that what it used to be like part of Bill's story. In this transition now, we're going to learn that we can't keep commitments we make to ourselves if we're alcoholic unless we have the help of a power greater than ourselves. That the higher power is necessary, and we're going to hear how Bill came across this idea. And you know, there's some religious connotations in here, and there's some reference to religion because Bill comes across it through a friend named Ebby, and Ebby is part of a group that is, in fact, Christian in its nature called the Oxford Group. And so you get those references, but don't let that limit your idea. Bill is into this from the standpoint of just about an atheist, certainly an agnostic. He's not coming into this as a religious zealot. He's not overwhelmed or trying to convince anybody about the benefit or failure of religion. He's really not even open to the idea at first. So just let that be Bill's story. It doesn't have to be your story, but he's going to talk a little bit about how he transitioned into this idea that a power greater than him, that a higher power is necessary in order to find a way to keep those commitments that we make to ourselves. So here on, here on page eight, we start here. Trembling. So th this is Bill trembling. He's gone through a series of events. Failure is coming on him fast. The penalties of drinking so hard are on him very hard. He's promised his wife over and over again he was going to stop. He's lost really every valuable thing he's had in life, and he finds himself here. It may sound familiar to many of you. Trembling, I stepped from the hospital a broken man. Fear sobered me for a bit. Then came the insidious insanity. Insidious means harming in an obvious way. It means that I do something that everyone knows is going to hurt me, and I do it anyway, the insanity that I'm crazy to do it. Then came the insidious insanity of that first drink. And on Armistice Day in 1934, I was off again. Everyone became resigned to the certainty that I would have to be shut up somewhere or would stumble along to a miserable end. And I think modern day, he's going to end up in jail or dead. You know, we say these things about people. Nothing I can do about it. It's just going to end up dead or in jail or something. I hope they arrest them. Maybe that'll stop them. You know, those modern day interventions, right? How dark it is before the dawn. In reality, that was the beginning of my last debacle, or a debacle, believe it, or debacle is a gathering with drinking. 
<laughs> you know, most people don't know it. We kind of use it a lot of different ways. But a debacle is a gathering with a lot of drinking. I was soon to be catapulted into what I like to call the fourth dimension of existence. I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. Who doesn't want that? And why don't you want it to be true? Let that stick with you for a second. When we talk about being catapulted into the fourth dimension, one way to look at that and the way that Bill talks about in other places to look at that is that you get new information in your mind and it's like an epiphany. It's something that arrives to you and arrives as a long-term memory that you can stick with. You'll have it happen all the time in meetings. You're sitting there minding your own business, you know, flipping around on your phone, not paying much attention to what's going on. But then suddenly out of nowhere, your ear captures a little nugget of wisdom and you go, wow, wow, I had never looked at it that way. Or you open up the big book and you read it new and you say, wow, I've never looked at it that way. Those are those catapults because they move our mind and the way we see things and the way we see the world to a position that we had not seen before or another dimension, right? So that's what he's talking about there. Near the end of that bleak November, I sat drinking in my kitchen. With a certain satisfaction, I reflected there was enough gin concealed about the house to carry me through that night and the next day. Wasn't that wonderful to know we had enough liquor? <laughs> my wife was at work. Whew, I could do what I wanted, right? I wondered whether I dared hide a full bottle of gin near the head of our bed. I would need it before daylight. My musing was interrupted by the telephone. The cheery voice of an old school friend asked if he might come over. This would be Evie Thacker. He was sober. It was years since I could remember his coming to New York in that condition. I was amazed. Rumor had it that he had been committed for alcoholic insanity. I wondered how he had escaped. Of course, he would have dinner, and then I could drink openly with him. Unmindful of his welfare, I thought only of recapturing the spirit of other days. There was that time that we had chartered an airplane to complete a jag. A jag being a time when one is way out of control. <laughs> His coming was an oasis in this dreary desert of futility. The very thing, an oasis. Drinkers are like that. The door opened and he stood there, fresh-skinned and glowing. There was something about his eyes. He was inexplicably different. What had happened? I pushed a drink across the table. He refused it. Disappointed but curious, I wondered what had got into the fellow. He wasn't himself. Come, what's all this about, I queried. He looked straight at me, simply, but smiling, he said, I've got religion. I was aghast. So that was it, last summer an alcoholic crackpot. Now, I suspected a little cracked about religion. He had that starry-eyed look. Yes, the old boy was on fire, all right, but bless his heart, let him rant. Besides, my gin would last longer than his preaching. But he did no ranting. In a matter-of-fact way, he told me how two men appeared in court, persuading the judge to suspend his commitment. They had told of a simple religious idea and a practical program of action. That was two months ago, and the result was self-evident. It worked. He had come to pass his experience along to me, if I cared to have it. I was shocked but interested. Certainly, I was interested. I had to be, for I was hopeless. So in spite of the joy of seeing a friend and the shock of him being sober, he's still in touch with the idea that he's hopeless. 
He wants what Ebby has, has no idea how to get it. In fact, he doesn't want that way to get it, right? He talked for hours. Childhood memories rose before me. I could almost hear the sound of the preacher's voice as I sat on still Sundays way over there on the hillside. There was that proffered temperance, which is proffered is to offer someone something and temperance is controlling oneself. So he's saying that, you know, Ebby's trying to play him. Ebby's trying to convince him, but not sound religious. So, you know, Bill's like, man, I know you're a freaking crockpot religious nutcase now. And that's what he's thinking, right? Proffered temperance pledge I never signed. My grandfather's good-natured contempt of some church folk and their doings, his insistence that the spheres really had their music, but his denial of the preacher's right to tell him how he must listen, his fearlessness as he spoke of these things just before he died. These recollections welled up from the past. They made me swallow hard. Remembering all these things he'd been taught about religion, and he's sitting there staring at, a miraculous result sitting right in front of him. That wartime day in old Winchester Cathedral came back again. That was that tombstone. I'd always believed in a power greater than myself. Here we go, ready? I'd often pondered these things. I was not an atheist. Few people really are, for that means blind faith in the strange proposition that the universe originated in a cipher and aimlessly rushes nowhere. My intellectual heroes... The chemists, the astronomers, and even the evolutionists suggested fast laws and forces at work. Despite contrary indications, I had little doubt that a mighty purpose and rhythm underlie all. How could there be so much of a precise and immutable law and no intelligence? I simply had to believe in a spirit of the universe who knew neither time nor limitation, but that was as far as I had gone. So he's offered us an idea, you know, not to say God or some religious name or some religious leader or some religious personality. He's just saying a spirit of the universe or something orchestrating this whole thing. With ministers and the world's religions, I parted right there. When they talked of a God personal me who was love, superhuman strength and direction, I became irritated and my mind snapped shut against such a theory. Sound familiar? That was true of me. To Christ, I conceded the certainty of a great man not too closely followed by those who claimed him. In other words, the hypocrisy of the church kept him away. The, the way that people don't do what they're taught to do in that big, big book in the Bible, that's what turned him away, right? His moral teaching, most excellent. For myself, I had adopted those parts which seemed convenient and not too difficult, and the rest I disregarded. Sound familiar? I mean, isn't that pretty much how that goes? The wars which have been fought, the burnings and the chinchinnery that religious dispute had facilitated made me sick. I honestly doubted whether, on balance, the, religious of man, the religions of mankind had done any good. Judging from what I had seen in Europe and since, the power of God in human affairs was negligible. The brotherhood of man, a grim jest. If there was a devil, he seemed the boss universal, and he certainly had me. Here's the contrast. But my friend sat before me, and he made the point-blank declaration that God had done for him what he could not do for himself. God had given him the power to keep the commitments that he made. God had done for him what he could not do for himself. His human will had failed. Doctors had pronounced him incurable. Society was about to lock him up. Like me, he had admitted complete defeat. Then he had, in effect, been raised from the dead. 
suddenly taken from the scrap heap to a level of life better than the best he had ever known. So for those of you that are sitting in a meeting right now and you're scared and you don't know what to make of this and you think this whole AA thing is stupid and man, what a bunch of weirdos are in here and all this stuff about God and stuff. I'm not buying it. I'm not doing it. It's stupid. Ask yourself this question. Wouldn't it be great if you could achieve a life better than the best you had ever known? Because it's possible. Let's go on. He had this power or had this power originated in him. Obviously, it had not. There had been no more power in him than there was in me at that minute. And this was none at all. So Bill has no power at all. How is he able to do this? And I'm not able to do this. And he's arriving at the idea that there's some sort of other power. That floored me. It began to look as though religious people were right after all. Here was something at work in a human heart which had done the impossible. My ideas about miracles were drastically revised right then. Never mind the musty past. Here sat a miracle directly across the kitchen table. He shouted great tidings. I saw that my friend was much more than inwardly reorganized. He was on a different footing. His roots grasped a new soil. He's trying to explain to us that what he's seeing and hearing from his friend Ebby is something he would never have imagined Ebby bringing to him. He's trying to give us some sort of visual idea that this is strong and powerful and able to move something that Bill thinks impossible to move, and that is to overcome his alcoholic nature. Despite the living example of my friend, there remained in me the vestiges of my old prejudice. The word God still aroused a certain antipathy. When the thought expressed that there might be a God personal to me, this feeling was intensified. I don't want to hear none of that. I'll tell you what, don't be talking about this God business. I know that was me. Didn't want to hear it. Some of you are religious in nature and you already think you know God, so you don't want to hear the God of AA, or you think that your God isn't in AA, or that your religion can't be represented in AA, and I'll challenge you this. I believe it's your job to bring that into AA, not AA's job to bring that to you. Go back to your religion and bring your God into AA, but you can bring any God into AA, God of your own understanding. So he goes on, when the thought expressed that there might be a God personal me, this feeling was intensified. I did not like the idea. I could go for such conceptions as creative intelligence, universal mind, spirit of nature, but I resisted the thought of a czar of the heavens, however loving his sway might be. I have since talked with scores of men who felt the same ways. You're not alone if you're out there thinking the God thing's dumb. My friend suggested that what then seemed a novel idea he said, and here's your answer right there for you dumb gutters. Why don't you choose your own conception of God? That statement hit me hard. It melted the icy intellectual mountain in whose shadow I had lived and shivered many years. I stood in the sunlight at last. It was only a matter of being willing. Willingness is a key ingredient. You don't have to know anything. You don't really got to do anything physical. It's a mental Willingness. Can you just move forward in spite of your beliefs or non-beliefs, in spite of your experiences, good or bad, in spite of your knowledge, whether you think you know a lot or you think you know nothing, just move forward. Be willing to try this. It's in italics in the book because it's important. It was only a matter of being willing to believe in a power greater than myself. 
Nothing more was required of me to make my beginning. Nothing more was required of Bill for him to get started on this path than a willingness, uh, idea of, okay, maybe I'll try it. A willingness to believe in a power greater than myself. I saw that growth could start from that point. Upon a foundation of complete willingness, I might build what I saw in my friend. Would I have it? Of course I would. Thus, I was convinced that God is concerned with us humans when we want him enough. When we want him enough, God is concerned with us humans. In other words, that grace of God is available to you right now, all the time, everywhere. And the best way I know to explain that is if you don't go out and tell anybody that you're an alcoholic and you're sober and you go to the grocery store, you're at no risk of being arrested for public drunkenness. You're not going to get treated as a second-class citizen. You're not going to fall over, vomit, or do something stupid because you're sober. The grace, you, the, the regular life is immediately available to you out there now. Nobody knows. You know, and that's where the condemnation comes, but no one else knows. Thus, I was convinced that God is concerned with us humans when we want him enough. At long last, I saw, so his senses, right? I felt his emotions, and I believed his intellect. Scales of pride and prejudice fell from my eyes, and a new world came into view. Now, this wouldn't be Bill's last drink. This wouldn't be Bill's day of sobriety. But he did have some of a spiritual experience were the challenges of his long-held beliefs, of his long-held resistance to a power greater than himself were suddenly disrupted in a way that he couldn't deny. It's a really disruptive realization. And in the next part, we're going to talk about the difficult solution. If you want it enough, the solution isn't difficult. If you're ready, it becomes very attractive. If you're looking for an easier way, there isn't one. So what we can talk about today is how do we find this power greater than ourselves? As you look around the room you're in, as you look across at your sponsor, as you drive right now and contemplate this idea, are you orchestrating any of the events in your immediate area? Did you make the furniture? Did you turn on the lights? Did you invent the flooring? Did you build the desk? What role did you actually play in the circumstances you're in right at this very moment? And you'll discover it's very little. So this power greater than ourselves is orchestrating all these other things that seem ready-made for us. You know, the seat will hold you no matter how lowly you might be. You can write on a piece of paper no matter how bad off you might be. These things exist for your benefit. No gas station open today hoping that you'd be broke. It's all out there hoping that you're employed and making money so you can buy gas and a donut or something. And it's being orchestrated for you. So talk about that. Talk about how our point of view gets so much importance that we're blinded to the fact that we're absolutely dependent on so many other things. Or you can talk about your resistance to religion, your resentment towards it, your bad church experience. Or you can talk about your great church experience and how you would like to leverage that concept of God into your sobriety. I hope you guys have a great discussion.